0: to our seasonal series um, called the Christmas Witnesses. Witnesses to the nativity, um, to the the birth of the Christ. Hi, Jonathan, morning. Witnesses to the birth of the anointed one, um, which from an Old Testament Hebrew point of view, the anointed one was always illustrative of the king. And not just the king, but the king of all kings. Now, over the past three weeks, we've, we've been walking through Luke's well-researched and well-documented biography of Jesus. Um, today, we're going to arrive in chapter two, and if you could turn there with me, um, that would really help. Um, I'm going to promise that you won't have to turn anywhere else, anywhere other than Luke chapter 2. So just just keep that open for me. I'm going to put the associated slides. I'm going to. Um, Pastor E is going to help me to put up the associated slides. Um, so you can just keep your finger in Luke 2 as we look at the text together. Now, our focus in this short seasonal series has been how Jesus ultimately fulfills the role of these selected witnesses. Week one um, was the witness of Zachariah the priest, and we saw how Jesus fulfills the role of the ultimate priest. Jesus is the ultimate mediator. Week two, which is last Sunday, we, we saw the witness of the shepherds. And how Jesus fulfills the role of the ultimate shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd, Peter calls him. Um, Lowly and humble and meek of heart. You see how he fulfills the witness of the shepherds, the role of the shepherds? Next week, we will see the the witness of the wise men and the fact that Jesus is the ultimate wise man. (laughs) How about that? And this week... We're going to look at three prophets in our text. So um, if you go to that next slide for me, Luke chapter 2, verse 22, writing's a bit small, um, but you got it open anyway, right? Amen. And um, we're going to be using the ESV. So just before we read, we've had the privilege of dedicating many a baby in our little church over the years, over the 17, 18 years. I would probably like to suggest at least 30, 40, maybe even 50 babies we've been able to dedicate. And we see a similar picture in the text today of a couple bringing a baby to dedicate them to the Lord. And a lot of the babies we've had the privilege of dedicating have been babies who have been born supernaturally. We've had a number of couples, I could easily reel off five of them off the top of my head, who were incapable of having children. And as a church, we prayed and cried out to the Lord, and the Lord worked a number of miracles. I, lie. Um, I was looking around, I don't think any of them are here today, but there's been a number of them. Miracle babies. Well, today we're going to look at the ultimate miracle baby, Amen. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 2. And we're going to go all the way to verse 38. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, and then I'm going to pray, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took, up, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Maybe it was a bit like, you know, when, um, was, who, was it Bagheera? Who, who is it that picked up Simba and held him up in the air? What was his name? The funny looking character. Rafiki. It says, he. I don't know if he held him and the cuddled him or he lifted him up like Rafiki. It says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Um, let me pray before we jump in. Lord, as we look at these things familiar, remind, remind us of what is true and teach us things that are new, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. So as laid out in our three sections um, of text, we have three main points. What if we could just have a look at those three main points. Our three main points are, number one, Jesus, a prophet greater than Moses. Number two, Jesus, a prophet to the nations. And number three, Jesus, a prophet who brings redemption. We're trying to say that Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Number one, Jesus, a prophet greater than Moses. Note that the law is referenced three times in these first three verses. Verse 22, 23, and 24. That is the law of Moses or the Mosaic Covenant. With reference to those in the past. um, Thank you, brother. With reference to those in the past. And um, the hundreds, the thousands, maybe even millions of, of males who had been presented to the Lord previously. Jesus didn't need to be presented to the Lord, right? Because he had just left the presence of the Lord. That to in, and that in order to be incarnated, remember Jesus is presented throughout the Bible, yes, as the Son of God, but Jesus is also God the Son. He's the second member of the Godhead. But this was to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, the ultimate male who opens the womb and also the the ultimate one called holy unto the Lord. Was there anyone more holy? Born under the law, hence his circumcision, um, he would ultimately deliver his people from the bondage of the law bringing in a new law, if you like. Jesus, bringing a new commandment. Remember Jesus said, you've heard it said, well, now I say unto you. And if you like, Jesus is a type of Moses, but in Hebrews it says that he's better. And it's in fulfillment. If I could go to that next slide, please. If you like, it was fulfillment of the prophecy made by Moses himself in Deuteronomy chapter 18, that there would be a prophet Like me, who would come, listen to him. And Jesus appears, doesn't he, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And here comes the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm more pleased. What does he say? Listen to him. Exactly the same articulation from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And listen to Hebrews 3 as it describes Jesus. Moses is great, but Jesus is better. Hebrews 3, verse 3 says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Moses is good, but Jesus is better back to our text, verse 22. It says, and when the time came for their purification, that's Joseph and Mary. Often we say when parents are dedicating their children, it's, it's much less about the child and much more about the parents because they have the role and the responsibility of raising that child. You know what I mean? And all the parents said, amen, especially if you've got adult children, like teenage children, right? We need help out here. And Here they come. According to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, again the law of Moses, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they offer a sacrifice, don't they? According to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The law of Moses determined that This little baby boy be circumcised and an offering brought to the temple. And the fact that Mary and Joseph brought two birds was a status indicator. Showing that they were poor, of low status, and not able to bring an expensive lamb. But they did bring a lamb. They brought the lamb. Jesus the ultimate lamb who would be slaughtered. No one understood it at that point. The lamb, the ultimate lamb who would be slaughtered, not just for Mary and Joseph's purification, but for many, many more. Okay, verse 25. Um, In that verse, we're going to be introduced to two new characters in our text, both of which will function in somewhat of a prophetic role. Simeon, who we will see prophesy, and then Anna, who will be referred literally to as a prophetess, um, specifically in verse 36. Both of these prophets, Simeon and Anna, small p, prophets, right, will in some way point to the ultimate prophet, Jesus. And just a quick word on prophets, or, or should I say the ministry of a prophet, if we could go to that next slide, please. Um, prophet, prophets or prophecy. How many of you know the word prophecy basically just means speaking forth God's word? Speaking forth God's word, but in two ways, really important. There's foretelling and there's forthtelling. Foretelling, if you like, predicting future events, like Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that prophesied that in the future the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that is foretelling, describing something that's going to come about in the future. But prophecy can't be limited just to foretelling. If anything, to some degree, I don't want to say it's more important, but just as important is this other element of prophecy, which is foretelling. My diction isn't the greatest, but telling, F-O-R-T-H means declaring and applying God's previously spoken words to a current circumstance. Can you see the difference? Can you see the importance of both, right? Regularly, whenever we hear of a prophet, we automatically automatically often think about someone that's going to predict the future or foretell the future, whereas the declaration of God's previously spoken word to a present-day context is also prophecy. In Corinthians, it gives you the impression that every time you hear someone stand up and declare God's word, that is prophetic because they're taking the word that was already previously spoken and hopefully applying it to a current circumstance, a current context. So see, we want to we wanna 25 to 35. We're going to see Jesus a prophet to the nations. I think the guys are having a bit of trouble. There we go. Um, Jesus, a prophet to the nations. If you could go to the next one, please, bro, if you can. Um, not, not that one. Um, so I think we're a bit advanced. We've gone a bit too far. All right, thank you. Amen. Jesus, a prophet to the nations. Um, or, or at least go back to the other slide. Sorry, E. Just the previous one. Yeah, you can leave it on that one, and then we'll go to that next one in a minute. So verse 25, as you're looking at Luke chapter 2 with me, right? Um, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man, no, was righteous and devout, waiting, waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon, a man who is described as righteous and devour. He was waiting, which is probably, uh, if you like, a description of a man who's advanced in years. Verse 26 says, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And verse 29 says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart, die in peace, right? He's an older man. God had somehow revealed to this elderly man that he would not die until he saw the Christ the anointed one, the Messiah, God's ultimate king. And at last, after all this anticipation, all this waiting, here is the promised offspring. The one who had been promised all the way from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. At last, here he is, the promised offspring or the promised seed of. Of, of, of Adam, the seed of, of David, the seed of Abraham, the last Adam, the one who would restore the rest that was once enjoyed in Eden, remember, the one who would restore that peace that had been lost in paradise, lost, the, cons- the consolation of Israel. And the word consolation, um, it means to alleviate grief or to take away a sense of loss, trouble, or distress. The consolation of Israel refers to the promised Messiah who was to remove sorrow and comfort the nation, but not just the nation of Israel, we'll see in a minute. Simeon and generations before him waited for the coming of the one who would console God's people, and the text goes on to say, verse 25, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Three times we're going to see this reference to the Holy Spirit as it relates to Simeon. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him, note, by the Holy Spirit, the second reference, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he, and he came in the Spirit, the third reference, into the temple when the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, this is Jesus' circumcision ceremony. Verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Literally, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Can you hear Simeon declaring God's previously spoken word as it related to the present, but also declaring God's word as it relates to the future? Prophecy. Simeon is there after having gathered up this special baby. He says, as he's looking at him, my eyes have seen your salvation. Yeshua. Salvation is the meaning of Jesus' name. Yehoshua. We've actually got a, a, a Yosh, a Yoshua in our congregation. I don't know if you guys have met him, Rebecca's husband. That's his name. What a name. What a responsibility to bear at least to declare that Jesus is salvation. God is salvation that comes ultimately from the Lord. Now, Simeon knew what it meant to be under Roman occupation. He knew what it meant to be under Roman rule, just like Moses when he delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. But this deliverance, it was going to be similar but different. This deliverance was going to be spiritual. It was going to be deliverance from personal sin as opposed to national occupation. And this deliver- and that's why some of them missed Jesus as Messiah, because they were expecting, you know, a David-type figure, a Solomon-type figure, like a Colonel um, um, pattern coming in on a T-32 tank to, 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 to squash. The Romans, that's why they missed him. See, Jesus came to provide deliverance from the bondage, not of the Romans, but of sin. He will come back and he will deal with the powers that be at his second coming. But this is his first coming. And this deliverer, Simeon, is holding in his arms and he says, at last... If only I had time to show you, to trace through the Old Testament, the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. I don't have time. But I will make reference to John the Baptist, who, when he was a bit disillusioned as to Jesus being the Messiah. Do you remember John the Baptist sent his disciples out and he said, wait a minute. I'm here in prison. I'm sure it ain't supposed to go like that. And John, poor poor John never even knew what was coming next for him. You know what I mean? And so disillusioned, he he looks through the prison bars and he says to his disciples, he says, you know what, go ask this Jesus if he's actually the one or should we look for another? My point is, can you hear the anticipation? They're waiting for me. Is he, are you the one that we've been waiting for for millennia, for centuries, right? Simeon says, Simeon, Simeon. My eyes have seen Yeshua, God's salvation, salvation that comes from the Lord. This promised Savior, <clears throat> see, he, this, this illustrates a biblical principle, right? The principle that this illustrates, that salvation comes from the, from the Lord, salvation is not something that you do, it's, something, it, it's, it's someone you know i say that again because I messed it up. Salvation isn't something that you do. It's someone that you know. In every religion other than Christianity, salvation is something that you have to work for. Christianity is unique in that sense. Absolutely, categorically, stands alone in isolation to the rest. See, because... Religion talks about the work that you must do. Christianity talks about the work that you can't do, but the work that is required, and the work that God requires, you and I can't do. John chapter 6. Um, now, in John 6, Jesus is speaking to the crowd that came to him, and verse 28 says, then they asked him, the crowd, what must we do to work the works That God requires, good question, right? Important question. The question of the ages, if you like. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Look at that verse carefully. You want to be able to work the works that God requires. Not that any other religious teacher or religious um, institution, religion, teaches or proclaims. The work that God requires, can you see you and I can't do? Someone can, and here he is in Simeon's hands. This is the difference between eternal life An eternal death. Um, That next verse is John 17. Now, this is eternal life. And this is Jesus speaking to God the Father in his high priestly prayer, right? You know, you talk about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. It's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer, our Father who art in heaven. No, the Lord's Prayer is John 17, where Jesus is speaking to the Father. And listen, verse 3 says, now this is eternal life. Father, that this Jesus speaking, Father, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You want to know how to work the works of God? Believing on the one who was sent. You want to know how to gain eternal life? The one who God has sent, Jesus. Salvation isn't something that you do, it's someone you know. Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that next verse, we all know it. Neither is there salvation in any other. Just in case you never believed that Christianity is different and distinct and separate from the rest. If This, this, this is one of the reasons that contributes to me having a rock-solid um, trust In the gospel that is articulated in scripture. It's because it's just so unique. Neither is there salvation in any other. It's, this is completely and totally exclusive. For there is no other name under heaven. Given to mankind by which we must. We must be saved. Can you hear the Exclusivity of the person of Christ, not the work that we try to do, but the person of Jesus. That's why he's so significant. That's why he's so special. That's why we make much of him because he is the, cha- the game changer. <laughs> See, this is the greatest gift. And if you're hearing this for the first time, happy Christmas. And notice verse 31. This is for who? If you're still looking at your Bible with me. Verse 31 says, this is not just for Jewish people. This is for all people. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33, and his father, that is Jesus' father, quote, unquote, Joseph and Mary, they marveled. at uh, what was said about i mean we all think that our children are special right but this is this is next level this this description and this is just one of a multitude of descriptions of this child indicates that he is extra special And Jesus was not just for Mary and Joseph or just for Israel. He was for all people. He is for all people. The deliverance, the salvation that Jesus provides is for Jews as well as non-Jews. And 2,000 years later, can you see that this includes us? So not only is Simeon a witness to the salvation that comes through Jesus, so are we. We are witnesses to the salvation that comes through Jesus. And that it's not just for the Jews, but it's for all people. And may the Lord help us to bear witness to our friends and our family this Christmas. To the salvation that comes through Christ. Amen. Amen. And one of the things we want to we do in this short um, special Christmas series is also highlight how Jesus supersedes these witnesses. And not it, Pastor E? The priests in week one. Right? We saw that Jesus superseded them. He's not just a, a high priest. He's a great high priest. In week two, we looked at the shepherds, you know, and we saw how Jesus supersedes the shepherds as the ultimate chief shepherd. Right? And, and, and here, these small p prophets, Simeon and Anna, let's see how Jesus supersedes these two as the ultimate prophet. Now, verse 32 is a quote from the Old Testament. Um, If you go to my next slide, please. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Um, Just the one before that. Oh, you can leave that. You can leave it. Just don't read the next verse, right? John 17. Now that I've drawn attention to it, makes it harder, right? Uh, Thank you. Verse 6. Isaiah 49 is where the the verse that we just read in Luke 2 is actually actually taken from. Notice it says, I will... Also, make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach where? To the ends of the earth. Now, you'd expect to see that in the New Testament, but this is in the old, oh, this is Isaiah. And Paul actually uses this verse and quotes his mission. Right? And we ought to be able to look at this and use it as our mission, but that's moving three or four steps ahead um, apart from today. I will also make you a light. And this ultimately speaks about the Lord Jesus, right? Can you see the global impact? That was a prophecy about Jesus. And that's why I said we are witnesses and testify to that because we are at the forever extremes of the globe as it relates to at least Jerusalem. That should be something that should encourage your faith to prove that, to identify the truth of the Scriptures. I'm going to say proves it. The Scriptures are true. This just highlights the truth of the, the Scriptures. We being here. See, that was a prophecy about Jesus. But listen to Jesus prophesy something similar in John 17, which is what you probably began to read. Um, verse sixteen. This is Jesus. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go to. To go. Um, when they saw him, they worshipped him. You know, this is one of the verses that helped me in the very, very early days of my Christianity, because it was actually a Jehovah's Witness that spoke to me initially that caused me to start thinking about the Bible really carefully. Actually, it was a friend of mine who I used to go college with who became a Jehovah's Witness. Knocked on my door when I was living in Forton Heath back in 1987, 1988. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Peter. Like, what are you doing at my front door? He was like, oh, i come to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and and listen, he literally came in and, and, and continued to come in week after week after month after month for about six months. Every Sunday, he'd knock on the door and I'd and it'd be like, ding dong. And I'd be like, oh, it's Peter. I'd go to, and I'd let him in and he'd come in and sit down and we'd talk about the Bible. And I remember Helen sitting down one day over in the corner saying that I'd never become a Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) And I sat there, very wise, is not (laughs) it? And I sat there, well, I said, and this is me. I was like, but you know what? They sound like they know what they're talking about. And um, why did I tell that story? Because, thank you. Because he was telling me, when, he's, when he was explaining to me, who, Harry, thank you. Well, <laughs> track him with me, thank you. While, while he's there trying to explain his Jehovah's Witness doctrine to me and then drops the bombshell that, oh, by the way, Jesus isn't God. You know what I mean? Then I started to actually, go, long story short, started to go to St. Mark's in Kenneton and began to hear this thing about Jesus is God. And it was a bit of a, um, it, was, it was very controversial and difficult for me to get my, the arms of my mind around But I then saw this verse, and it was like a shaft of light entered my soul. And I was like, but wait a minute. If the disciples can come and worship Jesus, and notice, you know, often uh, our Muslim friends will say to us, you know, show me in the Bible where Jesus says, worship me, right? And we know that it's not there in that sense, literally, right? But the question you can ask them is, where in the Bible does Jesus say, don't worship me? And you know what? Bare times I see angels getting bowed down to like Daniel, you know, bows down to the angel when he appears to him. John drops to the angel's feet in Revelation. Every time the angel says, yo, get up on your feet. I'm an angel. Don't worship me. Worship God. If, if, if angels knew to say that to people who bowed down to worship him, don't tell me Jesus don't know. Jesus never refuses worship. That helped me to happily joyously, existentially, happily. Think of any more adjectives you can add to that that describe they worship. Some doubted that he had risen, but verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, notice, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a statement. Therefore, go and make disciples of the Jews? Thank you, my sister. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, note the longevity of the mission. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can you see global impact all the way to the end of human history? See, can you see this this actually involves us. If you're tracking, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. All right, my sister, come on. This last verse, Acts chapter 1. Remember, we're talking about Jesus being a prophet and Jesus declaring things not only not only speaking about not only speaking God's word into the current context but also foretelling the future. Acts chapter 1, this is, listen, this so excites me. I mean, I've already had the opportunity. It was my privilege to take us through the book of Acts years ago. If you were around, you know, if you know, you're knowing it. But Acts the book of Acts, well, let me read the verse. But you will receive power, says Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem but not just there, also in Judea, the surrounding area. What, all the way up to Samaria? What, them, them half-breed Jews, the Samaritans that we hate? Yeah, or even up there and beyond. Where? To the ends of the earth. See, if you do a casual study of the book of Acts, you will see this prophecy fulfilled, wow, within 60 years of Jesus' life. And then, further fulfilled 2,000 years later by us sitting in this very room in London at the further extremes of the ends of the earth. See, Jesus, not just a prophet, you know, but the greatest of all prophets, who, who would be treated just like all the previous prophets with disdain, he'd be rejected, he'd be opposed. Eventually, he'd be crucified, and that in front of his mother, which would be like a knife through Mary's heart. Verse 34 says And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will, per- will pierce through your own, not even your heart, through your soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is loved, um, but also is loathed by many. Nonetheless, Jesus, is a prophet. Can you see to the nations? Okay, our third and final point. Verse 36 to 38. Jesus, a prophet who brings redemption. A prophet who brings redemption. Redemption, verse 36, and there was, and in steps our second character, second prophet, prophetess even. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was also, if you like, like Simeon, advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin. Wow. And then as a widow until she was 84. There's a lot that we could say about that. So here we have another elderly individual, but female this time, and widowed. Specifically identified as a prophetess, again, small p prophet. And she is among just a handful of female prophets referred to in Scripture. I don't know if you know the ones I'm thinking about. Remember Miriam, the sister of Moses in Exodus 15? How about Deborah in the book of Judges? Huldah, who's not so familiar. The wife of Shalom in 2 Chronicles 34. And then you've got Isaiah's wife, who's referred to as a prophetess in Isaiah chapter 8. And then you've got Philip in the New Testament, who's one of the seven deacons. Philip has four unmarried daughters who prophesy, it says in Acts chapter 21. So, Anna joins her. A somewhat long list of other female prophets, prophetesses throughout the scriptures. Now, based on his extensive biographical research, Luke, who's the author of this gospel, makes a point of highlighting women, the poor, the outsider, and the marginalized. Maybe because he himself was an outsider, if you remember. Luke is the only Gentile writer the only non-Jewish author in the whole of the Bible. Verse 37 continues describing Anna. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer day and night, night and day. Anna's dedication is quite unprecedented, isn't it? And maybe one of the reasons that God chose her and Simeon to be witnesses to the birth of the Saviour which is a damning smack in the face (laughs) of the religious establishment, right? See, they were much more concerned about money and power rather than righteousness and godly devotion. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, it's like just behind Simeon, here comes Anna. She begins to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna stands there worshipping, praising God. Can you see her giving thanks? But she also spoke about God to the people in attendance. One, she speaks to God in her praise like we did earlier. But two, she also speaks to the people. Prophecy. Not foretelling But forth telling, she isn't necessarily predicting the future, but taking God's word spoken in the past and applying it to the present. Can you see that? And the same is true of Jesus. Later on in this book, just before he quotes the book of Malachi, speaking about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7, quoting from the word from the past, Malachi, applying it to the present, John the Baptist, prophecy, speaking about the listening crowds, Luke chapter 7. I'm just on that next slide, please. It says, then it says, they were all filled with awe and praised God. Notice, a great prophet has appeared to us, appeared among us, they said. notice, not just a prophet, a great prophet, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Can you see Jesus, the the ultimate big P prophet? And especially as it relates to the last verse, or should I say the last phrase of our last verse, going back to Anna, as she sees the infant Jesus, verse 38, and coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, To all who were waiting, notice, what does she speak about? Those who who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Historically, God's people have a history of bondage, right? In Egypt, under Pharaoh. In Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar. And right here in Jerusalem, under Roman occupation. Bondage. How many of you know this physical bondage or this physical slavery was a picture or an illustration of spiritual bondage or spiritual slavery? And the only answer to slavery is redemption. It's akin to the word emancipation, which is the name of the new film with Will. I never thought my man would make it back. It's the name of the new Will Smith film, Emancipation. He got emancipated, he got, he got emancipated says Pastor E. The word emancipation... Now, our word redemption is, has a greater meaning, but it's akin to emancipation. Emancipation means to be set free. Huh. But redemption is more than that. It's more than just being set free, which would be a blessing. Redemption means... It means to purchase for one's own possession. It'd be one thing for me to to stand in front of the judge and get released and I'm free. When I was guilty and I should have been charged and sentenced, I should have been executed. And I get set free. What a wonderful blessing that is. But I'm just free now. Redemption, that's emancipation. Redemption means... I've been set free, and then I've been purchased by the one who paid, for my, who paid for my emancipation. And I become their possession. Now, you'd be like, but that's one slavery to another type of slavery. Mm, if only I had time. The word redeem means to buy, to buy out. The term was used specifically in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom The application of this term to Christ's death on the cross is quite telling. If we are redeemed, then our prior condition was one of slavery. Listen to Jesus, the ultimate prophet. Listen to him declare God's word in the present and at the same time foretell the future in Matthew chapter 20. And I've got two versions of this verse because it brings together these two words. Matthew 20 in the NIV says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, note, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Weymouth translation says, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the redemption price for many. You want, you want to talk about an expensive purchase? During the busiest shopping week of the year, (laughs) let me pray as I invite the praise team to come and join me. Lord, thank you for Simeon and Anna, faithful servants, witnesses to the Messiah. And Lord, we also thank you for Jesus, the one of whom they testified. Jesus, a prophet greater than Moses. Jesus, a prophet to the nations. Jesus, a prophet who brings redemption. He's he's the Messiah, but he's more than a Messiah. He's a prophet, yet he's more than a prophet. He's God incarnate. He's God who became sarks, became flesh, became a man who first became a baby a baby born to die in order to purchase our salvation which father which is what Christmas is all about and like Anna we we praise and we worship you like Simeon we have seen your salvation and it's wonderful in our sight Amen Amen